0: Hi, my name is Mary Spender and welcome to Series 2, Episode 1 of Tschüssdeck. Talks. For the next 10 weeks, you'll be getting an in depth interview each Tuesday with some of the most incredible musicians. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this podcast wherever you may be. Remember, you can catch the full video interview on my YouTube channel too. This whole series is brought to you by DistroKid, my favorite music distribution service, which gets your music into online stores and streaming platforms. And they've been a huge supporter of this channel and podcast. There is a link in the show notes for you to get 7% off your first year too, so check that out. But let me introduce my first guest of this series. He's one of my favorite guitarists and YouTubers, and we've not only collaborated on videos and podcasts in the past, but he lent his guitar skills and exquisite tone to my 2019 record Lone Wolf. I would love you to comment on any of my posts on social media with hashtag RhettIsAlark. is a Lark. That's L A R K and Rhett is spelled R H E But please enjoy my chat with Rhett Schull. Tuesday, Tuesday,
1: Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday
0: Talks. First thing we'll talk about is NAM. How was your NAM?
1: NAM was good. You definitely outworked me at NAM this year, though, 100%. I got there at the at the house. I mean, we should clarify. We had a, an Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, we did. That was all of us.
0: A YouTuber Airbnb. <laughs>
1: yeah. It was uh, so Tilly and I, you, Paul Davids and Norja, um, Sammy G, Samurai Guitarist and Adam Neely all in one house, which was a ton of fun. I knew it would be, but actually it was even more fun than I had originally anticipated. So um, yeah, Nam was great. Once I got there, I figured out ah, I don't wanna make a video. I just don't wanna do it. It was, it was so much going on. Um, just so many like people to talk to and meet and everything that trying to film and, and do it. I was like, I, I feel like it would be more productive and better for me to just focus on being at Nam and doing the Nam thing this year.
0: Well, I had the opposite thing. So I went into it being like, I'm not gonna make a video. And then as soon as I got there, I was like, because I we just had different approaches to Nam, and that's always the thing you always have to sort of go in with you had um meetings and arrangements and you were actually on stage on panels I wasn't doing any of that um and I wasn't associated with a brand in any shape or form and I suddenly realized I was like hang on (laughs) why why am I here everyone else is going to be super busy I might as well really enjoy it and document the process of it um But, uh, it's just a different approach, but you did some incredible things. Like let's just get onto the pedal,
1: the lark, the lark, the lark. Yeah. I, uh, it's been really well received, man. I didn't know what to expect. I mean, obviously I've never put out like a pedal or anything before with any, like anything with my name on it. Um, and so, yeah, we launched that with mythos pedals. Zach at mythos is a, uh, a genius, you know, Zach and, uh, basically we took my 64 ga5t skylark amp which is a gibson amp from the 60s and turned it into a pedal and it's been really well received i think we've sold i don't know how many at this point um but over 100 and we weren't originally going to go to dealers and uh, there was so much dealer interest that zach just kind of said hey let's just do it let's just go go dealer and i was like dude i that great whatever man this is (laughs) like i don't know what i'm doing so um yeah it's been it's been really well received and um i couldn't be happier with it thing sounds incredible have you played it yet
0: no i haven't had an opportunity
1: okay i gotta get one sent over to you
0: absolutely um let's just go over the process of how you even build a pedal uh, obviously in collaboration with zach at mythos but how did the idea come about
1: well we were drinking
0: <laughs> that's how every good story starts
1: we were hanging out here in nashville and this was probably last june and at the time like zach and i we we knew each other we had met a couple times but we didn't really know each other so we just picked a night we we're like hey man let's just let's just go out and so we went out for dinner had a mandate um Went to this place here in East Nashville called 210 Jack and and just kind of had conversation. We're talking about stuff. And that's where we, we kind of came up with the idea. or He came up with the idea for the his pedal kits that he's been doing. And um, I just talked about YouTube and all that stuff. And then I took him to my favorite cocktail bar in the world it is called Attaboy. It's over in East Nashville. It's this really weird kind of... Um, Speakeasy type place, best cocktails ever though. And so we went there and sat out for like three hours on their back patio and just kept drinking and drinking. And then it kind of got to the point where we were talking about amps because Zach knows so much because he worked at Carter Vintage for years and he just knows so much about vintage gear and guitars and amps and stuff. And I was like, man, I would love to have my Skylark, my GA5T and a pedal, like a preamp overdrive pedal but it had to have the tremolo from the amp. And then later that week we were in his garage prototyping it and it just kind of started happening. And then he did everything. Like I want to make it clear. I had no input really in the actual design process other than him sending me like sound clips of him working on the circuit and be like, yeah, it sounds great, man. Sounds great. You know? Um, I had some input on the aesthetic of, of the design. Like the actual logo was designed by a friend of mine, Shay O'Connor. Um, she did my logo, my RS logo. And so she designed the artwork on it and everything. But yeah, that was all Zach, man, 100%.
0: That is so cool. Um, I met him through Joey Landreth and. I've obviously met him subsequently. We obviously hung out in your rental Mustang that you had. <laughs> yeah. You totally you totally swagged it for Nam. Um, and he's just so knowledgeable, but without being patronising, which I really appreciate because there's so much I don't know. Um, and he took me around. He t- well, We met at Carter when I was just hanging out in Nashville for a week. Um, and he took me around all the stores and then was just like really happy to play guitar for a video and... Yeah, he's just sort of going behind the scenes at Carter and just being like, I'm just going to go and get you something really, really good. And then coming back with these outrageously expensive guitars. But what a sweetheart. Um, and yeah, now you're hanging out with him quite a lot in Nashville. So that's that's pretty, pretty cool.
1: Tilly and I went and actually had dinner with with him and, and his wife Morgan last night. And again, it, he's one of those people that when I hang out with him, I realize how much I actually don't know about guitars and stuff. Um he just he, he'll just drops he'll just say something like well yeah you know like on the on the burst they had this thing and i'm like i don't know i don't know that i've only ever played like 159 les paul burst and he's like he's probably played i don't know a hundred of them so he knows like what's right and what's wrong i mean yeah he's uh he's awesome i'm I'm really pushing him to get more involved on YouTube and do more stuff on YouTube because I think he could he could grow something pretty pretty significant I think
0: it feels like uh our calling particularly like you and me maybe adam as well well adam definitely does this but we basically try and persuade all the people that we definitely know know way more than us just to jump on YouTube and do youtube channels because <laughs> i do you think it's like a is it a selfless thing or do you think it's a selfish thing? Cause we actually want them to realize like how tricky <laughs> it all is to manage.
1: I think it's, we've become, yeah, we're, we're YouTube evangelists, right? We're like yeah. televangelists, but for YouTube. So I've, I see it more of a, a selfless thing because I don't, I don't recommend it to everybody. I have, I have friends, musician friends, incredibly talented friends, who I look at and like, yeah, I don't think I don't think the YouTube thing is right for them. And it's not because they're not good enough to do it or any of that. It's just it takes a certain personality type um, to like want to film yourself and put yourself on the Internet.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Maybe it's some kind of personality like disorder or something. But I
0: wholeheartedly (laughs) agree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have friends that I look at like my friend Dave Honorado, for example in atlanta he runs dojo guitar repair and uh he's on videos with with me and rick beato like the three amigos videos that we do dave is you know as knowledgeable as zach is dave is him but 20 years older 10 15 years older however much older he is and dave is just one of those dudes that knows everything there is to know about guitars and amps and the vintage stuff. And it's like, dude, you've got to get on YouTube and start talking about this stuff. He's also an incredible guitar uh, luthier repairman. He He's like the only guy I will let touch my, well, him and Ben Calhoun at Righteous are the only two guys I'll let touch my guitars when I need work done. And, um, you know, I did a video with him a couple months ago. It was like 10 guitar hacks or whatever. And that has like half a million views. And, uh, you know, it, it, I just feel like he needs to be on youtube making his own uh his own stuff and then i have a friend in atlanta and i'm going to shout out his channel because he is he's actually like posting stuff and getting stuff out there and he's 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 within his first 10 videos he's like just starting out his name's michael westbrook Mm -hmm. and um he's a guitar player in atlanta working guy touring guy session guy he's one of my favorite players in atlanta and um his wife is an incredible vocalist, and I was actually taking voice lessons from her And a couple months ago, and I was just talking to Michael, catching up with him. And I was like, man, you should... He kind of just dropped a hint of like, man, yeah, I've been thinking about doing videos, and then that the door was open. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to tell you everything I know. And then he started doing it, and he's, he's doing pretty well so far. So, yeah, Michael Westbrook. Um, it's worth checking out.
0: Okay, I'm definitely going to have to check him out too. Yeah, I... I've definitely changed my tune when it comes to YouTube and when it was all sort of starting to work for me um I was just like oh my god this is the only way this is the only way and I realized it's the only way for me um and you're quite right I think maybe our discussions it's sort of like calmed me down a little bit where it's like it's really not for everybody um but I if if someone comes to me and they're actually wanting to do it then I'll obviously just tell them everything I know because um you know all the mistakes you and I have made uh, are just it's just going to be a time saver for them it's it's not going to be a magic uh moment where they will suddenly go viral the next day but it will just like help them avoid some pitfalls that we've made um but now I really just try and talk about the realities behind it and sort of say to someone look if Even when it starts going well for you, what you have to realize is this is a commitment for like every week for the rest of your life. So even when you do start having a video do really well, you have to follow it up. So there are other sort of creative aspects and mindsets that you have to really, really kind of like own up to. Like, are you actually going to be able to do it? Do you actually want to do it? Is it is it something uh that will make your heart sing or is it just are you just going to resent it for the rest of your life so um yeah that's my take on it now
1: the thing i'm learning now because i'm two years into this like almost exactly 24 months in and i'm figuring out how to make this sustainable for the long term like how to play the long game because you know for the first year or up until now, it's been like pushing to that 100,000 subscriber mark and then just laser focus on getting to that. And then I reached it late last year and now I'm kind of like, in fact, Zach asked me last night, he was like, what's your your number one goal for the year? Like, what's your big goal for the year? I was like, well, this time last year it was just straight ahead, 100,000 subscribers. And now I'm kind of like, I don't know. And I had to think about it for a second and I finally, you know, I have a big goal for this year, but it's, you know, paying less attention to the numbers, the analytics day to day has been really helpful for me. Not worrying about subscriber numbers as much, not worrying about views, <laughs> reading the comments less has been really good for me. Um, but yeah, and, and I think that's that's a key part into making this sustainable for the long term, you know.
0: I feel the same when it comes to um, goals, I have realized that, that you know everyone talks about YouTuber burnout and actually I get quite a lot of questions about it where uh, uh, patreon people or uh, YouTube comments are, are just like how you how do you prevent burnout um, or if I look a little bit tired, in a Instagram picture they're like oh you're burnt out and I'm like (laughs) no that's just me without any makeup on sorry um and I get plenty of sleep nowadays uh and yeah I think um the whole thing about the numbers thing and talking to more and more friends who have more and more subscribers every day like everyone is growing exponentially and it's kind of weird it's a kind of a a new shift in the guitar world where no one's really an underdog anymore everyone's actually getting quite established and i think uh new audiences are reacting to that as well as the old audience who's been there from day one um but now i think i think i've been quite honest with everybody where i'm just like i have i get no joy out of seeing something do well or do badly like there's no joy there um and it doesn't make you feel any different even when i had my first video do incredibly well i realized uh and and where i was at the time it was really cool it was like it hit midnight i was in madrid on a on a trip on a work trip and i was like in a really great environment where like a celebration was kind of natural and it was it was necessary and everyone was really great and um uh kind of proud of me and I was proud of myself but at the same time like I was like huh don't feel any different hmm and I think there's this sort of illusion that you think and I I guess I'm not there yet but I think it's uh when it comes to people when they when they talk about um money not buying you happiness and stuff it's like oh because it's a number and it can buy you things that might make you happy for a second. And the same with like having YouTube hits, it, it will make you happy for a second because you're like, OK, I'm reaching people. That's what I want. Um, but instead, the actual, yeah, the actual number thing just doesn't matter. And I, I don't know whether you felt any different after achieving a goal like 100,000 subscribers, which is so difficult Um yeah, what's what's your view on that?
1: Well, okay, so I've never had a, a viral video. I've never had. I don't have a single video over a million views, um, and so I've never had that thing happen. So I don't. I don't know exactly how that feels. That being said, I do feel good when I have a video. Like, so I guess my most recent video that did well was like the string video, the string gauge video that was like a follow up to Rick Beato's video, and that one did did well and and I felt good because I was proud of that video I I think it was uh sorry if there's dogs in the house um I I think I I did what I wanted to do in that video and I executed it well and I can watch it back even now a week or so later and go yeah that's a good video and I'm glad that whatever it is two hundred and something thousand people have watched that um and so in that In that sense, it does make me feel good because the higher the number goes, it's like okay, I'm proud that that's what these people are seeing and those people are finding me. A lot of people for the first time on that video, and with the hundred thousand subscriber thing, when the day it happened, it was like, oh, all right, cool. On to the next thing, but and it was actually going to Nam that really sort of solidified this over it's you know over the weeks and months since it's happened I've definitely felt the weight of it it's like oh my god there's a 100 and now like 135,000 people or whatever it is that watch the channel on a regular enough basis to subscribe and to me that was um it's a it's a big deal I don't I don't take it for granted um and I, I I don't know it's when you get to meet the people like at NAM and I know, I know you experience this too it's like when you get people that come up and they're like you know I love the videos or you know thank you for posting this or you've inspired me to like learn something new or get into music or whatever like I hold on to that because that's w- what I wanted this channel to do when I started out 2 years ago you know
0: Yeah I think that's the only bit that matters really um is the people and and how you how you even deal with that and yeah the the weight thing that's a really interesting idea and i think a lot of people experience that and um it's ironic because really when it gets to a certain point like you need to be delivering content every day but you you sort of uh hinder your creativity element because you're thinking about this other thing that's totally out of your control and it's just it's growing every day um and you know that it could be taken away from you in a second um not necessarily by youtube going down but by making a mistake or um becoming irrelevant or you know we're we're at the mercy of the algorithm Um, but the the people thing really really made a difference and even then there are stages of that so if someone came up to me at Nam and they were just like hey watch your videos cool can I get a selfie I was like great that was really cool and that was like a nice moment um but it was fleeting when someone came up to me and said lone wolf had a really big impact on me I that really (laughs) really helped me um because I was just like thank you that was such a long project um, and it meant so much to me and it was so therapeutic to me that for someone to not only watch my videos, but to go and listen to the music behind the videos um, and the reason I started off making videos um, was just way more sort of like, um, not a weight, but kind of more substantial. And, And that was really cool and I was like, okay, Next year, I want to do more of those other things that people who are really like maybe the one you know the sort of top percent of my fans um, they really care about and that that changes their lives. I'll keep doing the videos, obviously, every week. I'll keep doing the podcast, um, but just and and that's a means to an end. And I'm not going to put, put any weight on that. And I'm going to try and just enjoy that work. Um, and just avoid any, uh, you know, hindering of it and just and just be and just be um, uh, the the best thing I love about uh, Big Magic, which is a book by Elizabeth Gilbert, where she says, stop being a martyr and be a trickster. But most of us musicians are trying to be martyrs, like maybe all the time. And yet I think there's actually a time and a place to be a martyr on a particular project. Um where you do put your your soul and heart into it and but you also have to change the mind shift and you have to change the mindset sorry and once that project is done you then have to become a trickster with how it's marketed or how it's received because you can't actually put any weight on that stuff that you can't control but when you're actually like nurturing the project um you can be kind of like the traditional sense of a musician where you're um you know putting everything into it but yeah there's just there's so much to navigate and I think it's really cool having and continuously having open conversations about it with other creators personally as well as like publicly like this
1: yeah I mean it goes back to the kind of thing I make videos that I wish I could have watched when I was a kid starting on a guitar I see that all the time And this is now part of that. It's like, man, I wish there was people talking about this when I was thinking about starting on YouTube, you know, because you would, (laughs) I would uh, go and watch these how-to videos or like top 10 ways to get 10,000 subscribers or whatever these BS, you know, social media channels were making at the time. And it's like, none of it was real and none of it was sustainable. And it's only been through the experience of the last two years, and talking to you mostly, and then more recently, like Adam and Paul and and all those those people, like finding a way to make this accessible for more people and sustainable for more people. Um, because it, 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 from my perspective, man, it's completely changed my life in an amazing way, and opened doors for me that I always dreamt of but never actually thought were possible. Um and I mean who knows? Who knows where this this will go. But I wanted to ask you, like, what's your uh a, at least what you want to share publicly, what's your goal for this year? Like what's your number one thing that you're driving towards?
0: I said last year, well I sort of said to myself last year it was it was just gonna be for twenty twenty it was just going to actually be a being able to sustain this because there's only so much con- consistently growing um or constantly growing that you can uh get used to so you know if if the if the path is always shifting then you're never going to find your feet and you're never going to actually like be stable enough to get this done um so in one way all I want to do is just continue the youtube channel continue writing music Um, and, and basically that's the simple answer, but then it's like, okay, but I never think like that really. And I've never thought like that. I've always looked at the next thing, um, and looked at ways of improving things, upping my game, um, really sharing that with other people. Uh, so this year I, I sort of set a, set a goal last year of trying to get on the road a bit more. Um, but this year is really about going on the road and, uh, some things have been coming about again without too much trouble on my end where it's just been like, okay, I've been patient. I've been putting in the work to grow my audience so that if I ever do do a live show, uh, someone would turn out. Um, and to be honest, it's probably something that we need to talk about off offline as well because i think um there is an opportunity for us to collaborate in that as well because you being a touring musician already um me uh, you know us collaborating on lone wolf you being so integral to that record
1: look if you just want me to join your band all you gotta do is ask you know
0: (laughs) you you know you're already in the band (laughs) but i i think there's some opportunity to create um you know, if if YouTube is scalable for us, and you know we can accrue new fans every day, and uh, new viewers, uh, new new people who love our stuff, new people who hate our stuff, whatever, that's really cool. But sometimes I think it's really great looking at the non-scalable thing, like you and me being on stage in front of a certain amount of people, and um, how much we enjoy that already. We know we love performing, and but combining and and making a show out of it, so. It predominantly being about the music because everything, everything we do, is about the music. But then, you know, there are other people out there, and and actually, I've got some questions from my uh, Patreon fans to um, ask you as well. But there, there are certain things that people want to know, and and I think that sort of eye to eye contact is so important, and and it's the thing we touched upon at Nam, like meeting people in real life was just, it was nice for them and it was nice for us and so I think actually um organizing that where it's more official thing uh would be great so yeah 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 how do you feel about that
1: (laughs) I feel really good about that because my big goal for this year that I told Zach about last night was you know for the first time I want to put out original music that has my name on it and kind of step more into the writer producer role because it's something I've always had. It's always had a, an impact on me and something that I've always wanted to do before YouTube and before all this other stuff. Um. So it, I'm getting to the point now where it's like, I really, really want to start putting out music that is, you know, I've had a hand in creating and and I have equity in and and I already do that with like Noah Guthrie and Good Trouble. You know, like this week I'll be going into the studio with Noah to cut his next, I think, four or five songs. And that's that's cool because that's a collaborative effort. You know, those are my guitar parts. I'm laying down on that stuff. But I want to be involved in the writing process and the production process in the mixing process and and actually put something out and then go out and play it live. Like I've never done that. I've never to this day, I've played hundreds, if not, I mean, probably thousands of shows at this point. And I've never once played a song that I wrote or had a significant hand in writing and producing. And, um, I've realized over the last couple of years that like, that's always been important to me, even when I didn't know that was important to me. Um, there was always something as as the hired gun player, even playing on these amazing gigs with my friends and amazing artists and everything. I never was fully satisfied in that role. I was always looking for something more and I didn't know what I was looking for. And it's been in the last few years of like producing and building this YouTube channel and writing some stuff to put on the channel and in the videos and stuff that I've realized that, oh yeah, I need to be doing my thing like the sound that's in my head i want to get out and uh, it's terrifying <laughs> like i'm not very confident in it at all at this point but it's something that you know i i know that i want to do and so my goal for this year is to put out like some kind of ep or something
0: well that actually leads on to um uh one of my patreon fans asked uh, um kurt asked uh I know he's said that 2020, he's going to focus on recording his own songs. I would <laughs> like to hear how he goes about songwriting and what the inspiration was for one or two songs he's written. So have you started on those songs?
1: Yeah. So I've been co-writing with a friend of mine named Jamie Portier, um, And if you want to hear Jamie, there's a there's an NPR Tiny Desk concert that he played on. The artist is called LaCaylee47. She is a bad ass uh, hip hop. Artists and she put together this band that she called uh, the TSA band. It's awesome. They're all dressed up in like TSA outfits at, at the airport. <laughs> Justice West is playing guitar on it, but my friend Jamie is playing keys and singing. And so you should go look up LaKaylee 47 Tiny Desk Concert. And um, he takes a, a break in between two of the songs and plays um, Let's Go Get Stone by Ray Charles. And it's like, to me it's the highlight of the uh of the whole performance so jamie's been a friend of mine for years he actually lives really close to me in in atlanta and so he and i for the last year had been writing together and recently we kind of just decided to let's just combine forces on this and just put something out so the process itself varies if it's something for my youtube channel like a track or something at the beginning i'll usually start with a drum loop Um, and then I'll, I'll start with either a scratch guitar track where I just loop the drums and start playing something on the guitar, like a riff or a chord progression. And then I'll have the scratch track at the top of the session and then literally just start building on top of it. I'll put the bass down next. And then what happens with the bass will inspire another guitar part. And then, you know, after the court, over the course of a day of building and building layers, I have something that is a congruent you know, track. With Jamie, it's a similar process. Um, we start usually with drums and I'll actually pick up the bass first because I like writing on bass because it's a little bit outside of my comfort zone. I'm not a bass player so I don't go to my, you know, I don't go back to my playing rut and um, we'll kind of bang out a progression. He's an incredible keys player. So we'll mic up the piano in my basement and start have him start singing and just kind of mouthing some syllables and you know we've gotten some pretty cool stuff going that way.
0: That's so exciting! I cannot wait to hear
1: it. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun.
0: And also, I owe you. <laughs> oh, I, for the record. I I for the record, I owe you. Um, for those that don't know, Rhett played guitars on Lone Wolf and um. Uh, really tied that record together and, and made it sound exactly, actually beyond how I expected it to sound and how I imagined it would sound. And um, yeah, just like completely, it was such a joy to work with. And that's I think that's why we get on so well. And um, yeah, I and also now that I've met Tilly, I think I I really understand you a little bit more. Yeah, and realize yeah. how similar we both are. Uh-huh. And then also the differences as well, which I, I really like. And I think that's um, uh, really interesting. And actually, some of the things I I, I had another question um, from Mark. Uh, he says, what's the most minimal setup uh, you find inspiring or satisfying for your own musical creation? Obviously, like the bass idea kind of fits that. But is there anything else?
1: In terms of gear, it, it varies. Usually... When I try to write something, I will get my normal rig and my normal setup completely away from me because, you know, you you sit down in front of your pedal board and your amp and everything, um, and it it just kind of takes you to the same sounds and the same things that you normally play, and I don't always want that. So, um, yeah, a lot of times I'll I'll take my bass and I'll plug it into. a a guitar amp and just start getting a sound that I like and then use that to try and inspire something um I've I've messed around with the tape machines and stuff they end up kind of being more of a pain in the ass than anything else um because they they never work right they never sound right and you end up spending more time just kind of messing around trying to get them to work than actually creating something so um I know for a lot of people that kind of stuff works really well um, but that's honestly something I'm still trying to figure out like I'm I'm a new producer and new writer compared to most people I know that I would call like actual producers and songwriters i'm I'm still relatively green in the space so yeah
0: well I think I think that's something I definitely need to um, take on board as well because I have a very particular way of writing um, and it just, simply involves the acoustic guitar but i've been trying to sort of think am i am i brave enough to try and write something on a different instrument and um i was recently uh uh somewhere that i can't mention cuz it's too cool i think i know where it is <laughs> and i'm that girl now you know where it is um and i was staying in a room that had a a grand piano in it and i looked at that instrument and i was like god i learned that when i was very young um never mastered it never felt very comfortable playing on stage used to get sweaty palms beyond belief so much my, my hands would always slip um and i'd just make terrible terrible mistakes in front of people and um and it, i found it very difficult to recover whereas guitar I, i've always felt quite easy being able to recover my mistakes even if something goes wrong but uh, i sat down and i it was just like look i i know the difference between a semitone and a tone. So, uh, and I, I, my ear has changed a lot from learning to improvise using guitar since I last played uh, classical piano, which I found to be too regimented. And and um, I sat down and I was like, what if I tried to write a song on the piano? And I came up with something. I don't know if it would be any good. I don't know if it, I'd, I'd share it with anyone, um, but it was just that challenge of just being like, right, put put the guitar away. See if I can actually do this in another medium, and um, and and where it will sit with me, and and what it will do to my songwriting, and so yeah, that's definitely something I want to take on board too, and and trial. And actually, I need to get a piano somehow, maybe just like a beat-up old thing. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, getting your hands on a different instrument or or a different, I mean, and look, this is one of those things I I I rarely advocate for this because it it's not a good mindset for people to sort of buy your inspiration. Like, Oh, I need to, I need to get inspired. So I'm going to go spend money on whatever a baritone guitar or whatever it is. I don't think that's a good mindset to have overall. That being said, if you can surround yourself with different things, different instruments, different ways of making music than you're used to, it can inspire different outcomes. Different musical outcomes. Um, that was part of the reason I bought that four-track tape machine, that cassette deck, um, was to kind of give myself some limitations to to do, you know, to do the the dollist computerless thing. Because I, I realized that when I'm sitting in front of a computer recording, I kind of have a set way of working, and it res- it produces a similar result almost every time as a function of sitting just in front of a computer but if you get the computer out of the equation it completely changes the game and i'm i'm still fascinated by that idea so i'm i'm in the middle of like trying to put together a modular synth setup because i've been wanting to get into that for years and years and years and so it's finally like all right i'm just going to pull the trigger and see what happens
0: yeah i think the um the keyword there is limitation and with guitar i actually Sort of wonder whether I enjoy songwriting on it because I am limited still and and i I, I know we've spoken about this before about um it's sort of taking ownership about calling yourself a guitarist and calling yourself a musician or calling yourself a songwriter, even if you 've written one song even if you've played one chord and just sort of just sort of taking that and just not worrying about calling yourself that and just really enjoying it but um i I sort of think there are certain things that you need to do and and the gear. Thing is interesting because i know i know of some people who are really prolific when they're in a room full of instruments and they just go all around and then they create incredible incredible stuff um but for me i know i'd probably end up doing nothing and um so yeah that limitation idea is 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 definitely the key and it's like is it because you're limited in terms of skill or is it because you're limited financially um I was actually watching, I was watching something which I I wouldn't usually switch on, but uh, it was a GQ um, interview with Phineas, who obviously has just swept the floor at the Grammys. And um, he was talking about, you know, this Grammy award winning, the most successful producer songwriter right now and performer in his own right. he just had his laptop and he just, he writes songs on the plane sometimes just using his laptop and using the keys as the keyboard. And I know that that's possible, but have I ever put myself under that sort of constraint? And would that be a fun challenge to either document or not document, like choosing what to show and what not to. But I think that sort of thing is is really interesting and will will help people if you know that your the base idea for me, makes me really interested in working with you because that would, uh, it's just, it just keeps things really, really, um, yeah, you can build on that. Whereas maybe sometimes I find co-writing quite intimidating sometimes because if it's too busy or anything, uh, it's kind of hard to imagine a vocal line on top of that or anything like that. So,
1: yeah. Well, I I actually, I prefer co-writing over writing by myself because I get to the point where like everything I do, I think sucks. And then I've spent five or six hours on something and I have nothing to show for it because I haven't like moved, to, committed to anything. But I also think the actual process, the, the, the people you find the process that works for you, right? So I love being in a studio setting. I love being in, you know, actually capturing uh real instruments with microphones and, and, playing with preamps like that part of it is inspiring for me finding the sounds getting the guitar tones running back and forth between the control room and the live room I love that energy so for me the idea of sitting on a plane in front of a computer using the laptop keys as the keyboard is hell like I could never do that like I just know that's not in my wheelhouse not knocking that at all obviously because it works for someone like Phineas and lots of other people out there but I'm just not that way I'm a a more hands-on kind of kind of guy i like turning knobs and flipping switches and and doing all that it's part of the creative process for me and so i think it's worth you know for someone who's wanting to get into this and writing their own stuff which i would encourage every musician out there to do because it'll just make you a better musician even if you never publish any of it Um, find the process that works for you and the only way you do that is by actually doing it over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, I think you have to find the process that um, allows you to move quickly and allows you, because like inspiration hits, but it disappears pretty quickly too. So you actually really need to act on it when it's happening. Um, Because if you think about it too much or you're messing around with um, things that you're not comfortable with, then it'll go and you'll lose interest. Um, But yeah, I I thoroughly agree, like I, I would, I find it difficult to co-write because I'm not, um, I'm always trying to, I need to improve my communication about musical ideas. And maybe it's, you know, and, and also I, it's a very personal thing for me and always has been since I was in my in my bedroom age 12, um, writing about my friend being mean to me or whatever. I was writing about when when you're 12, whatever that was. Um, and it's it's still like a, a very therapeutic thing. And that doesn't mean that I haven't co-written. Um, it's just not something that I move towards. And actually I kind of wonder whether that kind of has an effect on my whole career in general, because um sort of trying to scale and build a team, I am realizing like I am uh, very self-sufficient. And someone recently asked me in a meeting, they were just like, Why is that? And I was like, because there was no other option (laughs) so um for me I think being in a in a small town like Salisbury and although I did have friends who were playing guitar I wasn't really surrounded by other musicians that were uh, as interested in in it as me um there were definitely musicians that were better than me but they weren't necessarily interested in the sort of songwriting that I was and sort of same with uh the decision to be a solo artist as opposed to being in a band and all that sort of stuff and being a a YouTuber instead of being part of another channel or, um,
1: I think you should try the co-writing thing. The thing you have to do is you have to curate your co-writers. You can't just stick two musicians in a room, even if you can't just take two great songwriters and stick them in the room and expect something great to happen. There has to be some other deeper connection there.
0: Yeah. And, and, um, it's it's chemistry, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. It's it's a relationship that's happening, and, and there's a trust there, and you know, again, this is something that I'm relatively new to. I'm definitely no authority on songwriting and, and co writing and stuff, but um, I know people that are, <laughs> and I know people that are very successful in that space, and uh, I work with people that are very successful in that space, and what happens is you develop a a tight knit community of people that you know you can trust and that they can trust you because it's a songwriting is a very vulnerable thing and creating music is a very vulnerable thing, especially when you bring in lyrical content and ideas in your voice into the context. So it's you just have to find the right people to do it with.
0: Yeah. Well and couldn't couldn't agree more with you there. And I think that's a good tip. I think there are certain surprises that people go through um, in terms of walking into a studio session and having to co-write with someone. Um, I actually had to co-write with someone recently, but he wrote the lyrics and I wrote the music and we kind of knew our roles. Um, and he was trusting of me. I was trusting of him. We'd work together in a different, uh, mindset, but yeah, it's, it's, it's super interesting. Definitely something I, I want to do more of. So, um, I'll be hitting you up.
1: <laughs> All right, deal. I'll come over to England.
0: Yes. Oh my God. You must. You must. You must you must. This summer as well. Um okay. So Yeah, not
1: now. It sucks outside over there. I'm not going over there right now.
0: It is a bit it well, it was actually blue sky today, but yeah, it's a bit chilly. It's not it's not, you know, uh midwest kind of winter though. That's that's the the big illusion about England. It's there's no snow. There's no snow. It's just it's just a bit rainy. Um Okay, so I have being very uh professional and prepped some questions which I did send over to you but no harm in I actually... did my homework. You did your homework. Okay, okay. Yeah. I will start off. I... And by
1: that I mean I read them right before I fell asleep last night, so.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, they've been, you know, cultivating in your mind and uh I'm sure you have some great answers, but okay, first question. Which album or artist have you recommended to your friends and family the most?
1: Uh well, there's there's two or three but for the to answer the question properly, I'm going to stick to one and it's um, Michael Kiwanuka and his newest record just entitled Kiwanuka is incredible. His, his previous record also called love and hate is from 2016 is also amazing. If you don't know Michael Kiwanuka, I'll just spell his name for you. It's uh, his last name is K I W A N U K A. That's a record that I'm and, and, uh, my friend Jamie, who I was talking about earlier, we're both getting a lot of inspiration out of, and and just as a standalone piece of art, um, it it's um, it it's probably a desert island record for me at this point, and it's only been out for wow. a few months. Yeah. Oh my god, it's, it's incredible, incredible.
0: Well, that was a surprise because I was expecting you to uh to choose a different album, um, the High Women.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, but that's. <laughs> That's one of the top three. So the other one would be the Black Pumas new record. This is a self-entitled debut album called Black Pumas. Um, and they actually got nominated in the, uh, I think, Best New Artist category. Of course, Billie Eilish just <laughs> swept all that. Yeah, but in in the Americana country world, definitely the High Women record is one I'm going to a lot, a lot, a lot. And uh, Lucas Nelson's record willie Nelson's son um he has a record from 2016 i think it is i can't remember the name of it right now but it's it's incredible as well
0: i i i haven't listened to some of those records so i'm definitely definitely going to do my homework because um i saw your instagram story ages ago well when when the record came out about the high uh, women um and kind of brushed it off cuz i was like cool 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 whatever I know the country singers individually, cool, whatever. And then listened to it, finally sat down and listened to it. And I was like, oh my God, there's a reason, there's a reason someone who I trust musically chose this as a record to recommend. And that's why I, I love the idea of this question and sort of going around and sort of saying, like, who have you recommended this thing? Like, who have you had to preach about? Um, so I'm definitely gonna listen to Michael Kiwanuka. Yeah,
1: ch- yeah, check out the the Michael Kiwanuka. Both of those records, Kiwanuka and Love and Hate. I think I think you'll actually. I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on it.
0: I I, I definitely know of not. I'm not friends with. And I'm not trying to name drop. I know of musicians that went – I think he studied jazz guitar at Royal Academy, um, either either he got all the way through or i think he got picked up by his record label while he was doing that so like he's a he's a really hardcore musician so yeah he's um, amazing so yeah I, I will i will listen to that okay next question if you could have a drink with any musician dead or alive who would it be and what would you ask them
1: all right this is this one's tough for me oh yeah i mean cuz there's the obvious answer of you know any number of guitar heroes but you know with that I feel like I would just end up talking about good like stupid guitar nerd stuff that you know I mean whatever <laughs> um, but I think I would want to sit down with Eric Clapton and because when you I just feel like he has one of the most interesting stories in music. And, and my dad and I went to Crossroads um, guitar festival this past September because they don't do it every year. And it it came up and I had some friends that were playing. And so my, my dad and I have watched all those DVDs for years. And so we decided like, okay, let's just go. Let's go both nights at Crossroads. And um, the second night we were able to get backstage and watch the show from, from side stage. And um, Eric only came down for one person's set that whole night. And it was Vince Gill, which was one of the most badass show of force musicians' sets I've ever seen. It was so good. Dude, the vocal harmonies in Vince Gill's band are so tight, they sound like the record. Anyway, but Eric came down and he was standing basically right next to me, and my dad. And I, I just was kind of sitting there looking at him and thinking like that man has had such an impact on music and has had such a prolific career as a musician in so many different iterations, right? Uh, you know, playing in cream and then his solo career. And then, I mean, through the past basically five decades, um, I, I would want to talk to Clapton and and just get his insight on being an artist and finding your voice and um you know all that stuff
0: yeah I I would definitely ask him about how you sustain a career for that long and yeah the the sort of failures he made along the way or the 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 things he would kind of do again but wouldn't I don't know. I don't know. I've, I there's there's so much, and and the coolest thing is he is still around and he's still playing, and so that's a that's a great choice.
1: Dude, the first night of that um, Crossroads Festival, he came out and played an acoustic set, like the unplugged record, and he played a lot of the songs on that record, and I almost cried. <laughs> like he, because I've literally been listening to the album my whole life. Um, since I was a newborn baby, they had, my parents had that on tape, cassette tape in the car that we would listen to and, uh, to hear them play that live. It was, it was so powerful.
0: That's very cool. That's so cool. Okay. Uh, tell me about your favorite piece of music gear or piece of tech. It doesn't actually have to be musical and the story behind it.
1: Um, so anybody that follows my channel knows about the, the pink Novo, the, the Saris J the Burgundy Mist Sparkle, Sarah's Jay. Um, That guitar is, that is a once in a lifetime instrument. Um, I bought it before I was on YouTube or anything. I was touring with a band called the Muddy Magnolias at the time. I've had it for almost three years exactly. And uh, found it in a local guitar shop. And it was actually my wife, Tilly, that like kind of pointed it out. I was like, you need to try that one out. And at first, I didn't really like it because it looked funky. I didn't know anything about the brand Novo. This is like weird offset pink sparkle guitar. Like, what is this? But I played it unplugged for the first time. I just sat down in the store and played it, and it rang like a bell. And it was one of those things that I've learned to pay attention to with guitars or amps, whatever. When you get that feeling, when you sit down and you feel it, and you just think like, oh, no. (laughs) This is, this is something different. You have to pay attention to that feeling. So we, it was, it was expensive. I mean, it was $4,000, and I didn't have the money for it. So it was going back and forth for a month. Tilly finally, I, I talked myself out of it. Tilly finally in the car one day was just like, you need that guitar. You need to go get that guitar. So I sold two guitars I had. I maxed out a credit card, and I blew out my savings account and went and just walked into righteous one morning and just put every pretty much every dollar i had to my name on the counter and walked out with that guitar and it's um it's been with me on pretty much every gig ever since and it's opened a, an amazing relationship with Novo and Dennis Fano and all those guys and the guitar has kind of grown a, a life of its own online <laughs> um people know that guitar and um yeah, but that's a, that's an instrument that I will have with me for the the rest of my life absolutely
0: that's a it's a very similar story with me and my vigier which again is is not uh, looks wise wasn't something I initially liked and then I because I, I wanted to go just for the plain black version and then and then yeah that when you're associated with something so unique and unusual um I think it kind of gives a a, a different dynamic to sort of online and your sort of social media presence in a way because you're not just recognizable but the instrument's recognizable and I've had discussions with this and I'd actually like to know your thoughts but I've been oh and I've got something else because I recently just bought a guitar uh, but haven't told anyone so this is the first time I'm actually talking about it but Uh uh-oh when it comes to the traditional guitars that are the most popular guitars and if i've missed one out let me know uh gibson les paul gibson 335 fender telecaster fender strat Mm -hmm. i think those four are the they're the most iconic yeah yeah so i could also
1: throw the firebird in there as well if you wanted to cover everything but we'll just stick to those four
0: i think i think those four are definitely it Uh, i think um with those four instruments, I think it's kind of important sometimes to not use them. And then uh, in another way, I am aware of other YouTube channels that I think benefit from using them because they are aspirational instruments. But right. You have a Les Paul, you have a, not a 335. No, you have yeah, a 335. A three th- yeah, yeah. Um, you don't have a telly. Do you have a telly? I
1: have, yeah. I have a well. It's a parts telly, but yeah.
0: Okay, and you have a strat.
1: Yeah, that I never play.
0: <laughs> that you never play.
1: Yeah, I'm not a strat guy.
0: I think I'm a strat girl, but I don't own a strat, other than a other than a sil- Silver Sky.
1: Have you not played my strat when you came over?
0: Well, it's the John Mayer, right?
1: Yeah, it's the black one.
0: I haven't played it. Why have I not played it? Why did I not ask to play that?
1: Hot take right here. Uh, it's almost exactly the same as your silver sky. I made a video comparing the two and the the pickups are slightly different and everything, but the neck shape is identical.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I I need to play that next time around. I I will, I will, but I'm sort of thinking, should I invest not all at once (laughs) at all? Because, uh, the versions that I would want would be a bit, A bit too pricey um but i'm sort of thinking of like getting those in in my collection eventually like next 10 years definitely having those instruments just to almost be able to communicate certain ideas with certain people and i don't know
1: so here's the deal um you play what you want to play yeah that's it if you want to play a les paul because you like what the les paul does and you like sort of the legacy of that guitar. And you like the way that it feels when you play it. Then buy a lust ball and play it. Um, I, But if it doesn't connect with you. Like the Strat thing for example. I have one Stratocaster. It's a great Strat. Um, it's worth now a lot more than what I paid for it when I bought it. It's, it plays great. It sounds great. Uh, I am not a Strat guy. Like realistically, I haven't touched that guitar in probably four months because what that guitar does, doesn't speak to me. If I'm going to play a Stratocaster, I really just want it to sound like a Tele. So I would just pick up a Telecaster. Mm -hmm. The thing about guitars is they are tools and they're kind of like paintbrushes, right? To do different things, you need different brushes with different sizes and, and whatnot. Um, and so I think for someone who's going to play professionally as a hired gun or a session musician, yes, you need to have these tools in your toolbox. You need a Strat, you need a Tele, you need a Les Paul, you need some kind of semi-hollow guitar, whatever. Um, as an artist, as, an, as a singer-songwriter and and someone who's putting your voice out there, you play what you feel suits your voice. And I mean that literally and figuratively. Like, And if it's the, the Tiffany Blue Vigier that you have, then that's what you play
0: revolution
1: green oh sorry i call it (laughs) tiffany blue but
0: so so i think i think it's um uh it's a bit like that dress that went viral it's like what color is it is it blue or green Mm -hmm. um yeah no i think and that's just simply sound advice yeah i think you're right i think you're right there's
1: no rules with this stuff you don't you don't have to own all of these things to be considered a good guitar player or whatever Mm. you just it's there's no rules
0: yeah I think, yeah, the, the one rule is um, getting off your ass and actually doing some practice, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is also something I don't even do. So there's no point in me buying all these
1: guitars. Um, no, that's not true.
0: I'm I'm getting better. If I'm the guitar is going to
1: inspire you and it's... Okay, so here's the thing about Les Paul. I owned a Les Paul for years. Um, it just, it wasn't a good one. Um, you know, it looked great, but it just never really connected with me. And then... <laughs> Through the course of making a a video about bashing Gibson, um, they ended up giving me a Les Paul, and that one is really, really good. And that one actually really inspires me. And when I play that Les Paul, I play differently than I do on my 335 or a Telecaster because it does something different than those guitars do. Um, so again, man, it's it's kind of back to that inspiration thing. If it's going to inspire you to to go down some different path that you wouldn't normally do then get one i will say i I, have you played my 335 or any 335 before
0: yeah i have played 335s i've always thought about one um
1: how do you feel about the size
0: uh of the body or the neck
1: yeah the body uh
0: uh, body i i I don't mind the size at all um No, I, so I'll tell you about my recent purchase because it hasn't come yet. I don't think it's even been shipped. But it was it's more of like a personal choice as opposed to um anything else. But I had uh and it and it cost me $300. So that's that's where we'll go with it. It's $300 or maybe 300 pounds. Um I owned uh, a hollow body Ibanez Artcore AK 85 when I was that so cool but I I had I experienced a lot of problems with it and I didn't know what was wrong with it at the time because I wasn't experienced in in guitars and um I bought it I must have bought it when I was 17 and then I went through a really rough financial patch when I was 21 22 and sold it um luckily for the same price that I would paid for it which was you know, three hundred quid then was just so much money to me and, and got me out of a tight spot. So it served its purpose. I felt a bit heartbroken about getting rid of it, but um I I had to. I had to. And nothing else could go at, at the time. But I realized like reverb now, um, and this is not sponsored, um uh I I just I went on it and it was just like, wow, that's the guitar that I still think about and I've seen a lot of Ibanez um, hollow body guitars not that one but I've seen them uh, being played on Instagram you know because they're they're relatively affordable they make cool models they make cool shapes it's kind of unusual for Ibanez uh, to be seen in that but obviously they've been producing them for years so it's not that unusual Um, but I went into the studio uh, with my drummer Beth and the engineer, Theo, he had one. He had the exact model. It was beaten up so much. Like he'd he done some stuff to it. Um, but it was there. And as soon as I saw that body shape again, because it's got a Florentine swirl, so it's super sharp, uh, not the soft one, you know, the soft. Um, uh, and And I just realized, I was like, that's my guitar. That's my guitar. Why don't I buy one? again so i've bought one it's coming from france some some lovely little shop in france i don't know how long it will take but i bought it and i'm so excited about having it but the reason i got rid of it and and other than the financial thing was because um it never stayed in tune because it it wasn't the bridge wasn't attached to the body so i know the first the first thing i'll do is is get that fixed and um
1: what i would recommend so a lot of people you know will do the pinned bridge where they actually put you know like a pin between the bridge and the top uh like a dowel um but dave actually because i have a Gretsch black falcon and i was always knocking that bridge around and everything and he always he just takes double-sided tape like a really nice double-sided tape gets the bridge in position and that's all you need and you're not having to drill into the top of the guitar and actually pin the bridge and if for whatever reason you needed to move the bridge later down the road, maybe you switched to a different string gauge or whatever, you could, you could pull it up and move it.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. When, okay. Technical question that I literally just don't know. If I'm personally uh, mucking around with the bridge, do I want to do that or do I want to, I want to get a pro, don't I? I probably don't want to do it myself.
1: Look. You can totally do it yourself there's plenty of people that do it themselves it's as long as you can get the bridge intonated you know then that's fine um that like you personally can get the bridge intonated i'm i'm not great at the technical hands-on stuff like that so i've just learned through screwing stuff up over and over again it's better for me to just take it to a tech and have them do it especially on like a really nice guitar like that i just i don't want to mess it up
0: no no yeah no i i thoroughly agree Okay, cool. Well, that's cool. Um, With uh, with now like, yeah, 130 plus thousand subscribers, and it's only going to keep con- growing. With a huge online presence, is there something that you feel you've missed out on talking about or you're going to start talking about more? Is there something that you've never said that you'd be willing to share? Uh,
1: uh, I don't know that there's anything that I've missed out on. The thing that I always struggle with on my channel is I feel like, I talk about gear too much and I don't talk about the other things that I want to talk about enough, which is um, actually playing and being out and, you know, making the tour vlogs, being in the studio, writing, producing, like actually, I don't know, being a musician. Um, I love gear and, and I love the technical aspect of, of guitar and, and playing and music and all that stuff. But I feel like, I get too caught up in that sometimes and I want to talk about more of the actual musicianship side of, of what I do in terms of something I've never shared on my YouTube channel. I don't know. I I don't know that there's anything. I mean, there's definitely things I've, I've never shared, but you know, I don't think it's healthy to like completely air out everything online. Um, I do have um, and I don't know if I've talked about this or not, but you know, the, the imposter syndrome thing is very real and very prevalent for me. And there's always this like crippling fear that I've had that I'll just someday be figured out for some reason of, of like not actually being that good of a guitar player or not knowing what I'm talking about or not being qualified or whatever. That's um, you know, that's, that's a big, that's a big deal for me. And I feel like a lot of other people in this space.
0: I think, uh, imposter syndrome is extremely serious in everyone who is, uh, taking a leap forward in their career, because if you were doing something comfortable, uh, you'd be staying in the same place. Um, you are constantly like putting yourself out there and we're, putting ourselves out there in a um a permissionless environment so there aren't any gatekeepers here so the, i think the best thing about that is that if you're an asshole, <laughs> uh you'll get found out um i don't th- i think if you're if you're a, a open normal person who is willing to admit to mistakes or whatever, I think you are completely safe actually in this kind of turbulent environment because I was talking about it with someone and uh, who has a big following. I won't mention their name just in case they don't wanna be known about this stuff, but they were just saying, I don't have any skeletons in my closet. And I was just like, that's really interesting because there are things that you don't share and there are things that you can't share Um, Because, you know, you don't need to, it's not part of your career plan to share those sorts of things. Um, But the the skeleton in your closet thing, the worry thing, the thing that might out itself um, is, is not there for people who are actually good people. And I think I can speak on your behalf in terms of like, you don't have that. You are a great guitarist, because you're musical, you're hardworking. And also, you know, you're not an expert if you were saying to me, oh, I'm an expert in this, I'm an absolute pro at this and this and this and this, um, I would be really wary and I would probably say, oh, uh, is that entirely true? (laughs) But you've you've never claimed that. There are certain things that you definitely have expertise in um, and uh, you've made errors and you've, you know, uh, trial and error. Uh, Just like, just same with me. There are definitely things that we are good at, but the fact that we're not professing uh, to be experts because we don't need to be, this is a permissionless platform, permission permissionless environment. Um, we just don't need to be. What we do need to be is open, entertaining. Um, we need to have an innate sense of drive so that we're always pushing ourselves to do better. And when we see a gap in our own knowledge, which I've seen so many gaps in my own knowledge, You just have to self-educate and or you have to ask questions or you just have to admit to it and so the fact that you're even saying that is um is only a good sign so yeah imposter imposter syndrome uh really um is almost like a self-defense mechanism
1: that's an interesting way to look at it uh and i appreciate the kind words i mean i um yeah, I've I've never claimed to be an expert guitar player. And um anytime I've ever gotten kind of inflated in my head or something after a big show or whatever, and be like, you know what? You know, I think I am pretty good. All it takes is for me to go like at Nam. I went to the two rock party and watched over the course of an hour and a half, Josh Smith, Greg Koch, and Joey Landreth play. And it was like I I don't even know why I'm playing guitar because these guys exist and are actively out there doing it right now. It's like, what, <laughs> what, what can I contribute to the musical world that these guys aren't, aren't already doing uh, at a, at an insane level. Um, but again, that's, it's never been my goal as a guitar player or a musician to be the best. I've never had that, you know, sort of drive. I just, I just want to make music and, and find a way to sort of express myself and hopefully connect with somebody else who might view the world in a similar way or have a similar experience that i do
0: yeah i I actually was listening to something and they were talking about being the top uh one percent of something um and and really the best way to do that now is to not aim to be the best in one thing but it's to be good at five things that make up um that make up you. So technically there will never be any competition against you uh because you have those skill sets and those sorts of things you are in those realms combined they make up you and there can't be another you.
1: Yeah.
0: So I look at someone like Joey and after being on the road with him and going oh my god I should put the guitar down as well and having that <laughs> moment and like but yeah, I'm not trying to achieve uh, what he was trying to achieve when he was um, when he was learning, or when. And you know, we grew up in different environments, and then we're different ages, and then we, we've got different skills, um, and that is okay. But it's sort of knowing that he has a different obsession to you or I, um, and I have a, dis- a different obsession, and it's just sort of like owning up to that realizing what it takes to be the best version of you um and and that's what i love about joey as well because he also doesn't claim to be the best guitarist in the world and yet you and i can look at him and be like oh he is definitely <laughs> definitely in the top one yeah, percent. but he's much more interested in uh songwriting and being a performer and being the vocalist that he is and i think that's what makes him really uh you know triple quadruple uh threat is because he's not just a good guitarist a brilliant guitarist he is also a brilliant singer a brilliant songwriter owns the stage also knows about his gear and i think those are the contributing factors but it's sort of like figuring out for us what are what are going to be those five things that we enjoy doing too that make up um, us and 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 move you forward. But yeah, it was just an interesting thought that you, you sort of came up with that and something I just listened to recently. If you could give your younger self a word of musical advice, what would it be?
1: Calm down. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, seriously. Yeah. It's, I, I think back to 10 years ago when I was like getting out of music school and like trying to Oh my god! It, it was first of all, calm down musically. You don't have to play as hard and fast as you can at every single opportunity. Um, calm down emotionally. Where you know every little thing that happened or every little gig that I got or didn't got was like didn't got didn't get was like the end of the world or you know i i I went through a really hard time of looking at other players and being so envious and jealous of like oh they got this gig and you know well that's it they've made it that's their career and then looking back now it's like dude (laughs) that's not at all (laughs) how it plays out and understanding that um this is a a lifelong like the longest term game at the time I was looking at it on a month by month basis, um, yeah, to, to calm down and really hone in on your skill set, find your voice and settle in and, and just play the long game. I mean, that's, that's really the thing, Uh, you know, I'll be 30 in uh, a month on March 1st. And you know, I think the 20, and I think this is probably indicative of a lot of people in their twenties, right? You, you kind of you don't know what you're doing and feel like you're just spinning your wheels and everything and um just telling myself like that's normal and that's okay and that's where you're supposed to be you know
0: i couldn't agree more perfect way to end this interview thank you very much
1: well thank you for having me as always it's about time to get you on my podcast again too
0: hell yes I really hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I've always found it incredibly easy to talk with Rhett, so make sure you subscribe to his channel and check out all his videos. But I also hope you take a moment to find out more about the sponsor of this series. More than 250,000 artists rely on Distrokid to distribute their music, including myself, If you're wanting to have your music available on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music and Tidal, amongst many other stores, then you should sign up using the link in the description. An account starts at just $19.99 for unlimited songs and albums in 12 months. And with the link in the description, you'll get 7% off your first year. DistroKid helps you give credit where credit is due. Now that downloading and streaming has surpassed CDs and vinyls, the team who worked on the record are sometimes difficult to find. I always loved looking at the liner notes and seeing who wrote the song, who the producer was, the mixing engineer, where the record was made and who drew the cover art. DistroKid collects more extended metadata than anybody else so you can not only share who worked hard on the recording but also give details about the gear and equipment used, your contact information, your social media links and lyrics too. Massive thanks to DistroKid for making this series possible and check out the link in the description for that 7% discount. See you next week.